New Year's are often a time of new beginnings when we pledge to start new things, we pledge to be better, we make New Year's resolutions and we try and follow through until our next paycheck at the end of January. You know, January is a long month, there's about 483 days between December's paycheck and January's paycheck and um, <clears throat> it also feels like that for our New Year's resolution sometimes. And I think for me, the, the reason that I've seen in my life why I struggle to hold New Year's resolutions long is because I see a New Year's resolution as something that I add onto my life rather than, hey, this is a new beginning of a new me. You know, when you, when you want to go on a diet and you crash a diet and you think, man, I need to change this thing and I'm just going to do like three weeks or six weeks and I'm going to lose this much weight. You know why you put it back on afterwards? Because you haven't changed your lifestyle. You've just changed it for, a, you've changed your behavior for a moment. But if we want to see ultimate change, if we want to see lasting change in our lives, we've got to understand that it needs to be a new beginning. We need to have a new beginning, not just tack something on, not just add it into, but how do we have a new beginning in our life? So plenty, plenty more is going to be a year of new beginnings. Um, we're going to do some new stuff here, and I trust for the church. We, we feel God speaking to us about doing some things in a new way in this church, and, and maybe it's going to be new for you, maybe it's not going to be new for you, but it's certainly going to be new in um, the way that we've we're going to be doing things here. If you've got your Bibles with you, why don't you turn over to the book of Philemon, or Philemon, as it's pronounced, Philemon. So however you want to pronounce it, um, we'll vacillate between them because I can't decide how I want to pronounce it. In Africa, I think it should just be called Philemon. Yeah. Everywhere else they call it Philemon, but uh, we're going to be with Philemon. So small little book towards the back end of your New Testament, easier to find in the, in the app than it is on your actual Bible. Um, is a, it is literally, if you're looking to read a book a day of the Bible, start with Philemon and then go like 1, 2, and 3, John. It's great. You, get, you feel like you've accomplished a lot. You're like, I've read four books of the Bible in four days, but they're only about like 48 verses, all of them included. So this book of Philemon is, uh, is an interesting letter. It's one of the letters that Paul wrote, and it's, it's, it's the only, it's, it's one of the few letters that Paul writes that is addressed to an individual person. And obviously it's, it's addressed by the, the title is addressed to Philemon. That's who he's writing, he's writing to. So Paul's writing on this, on quite a unique occasion. What has happened is there's um, a slave, Onesimus, who has run away or has overstayed his leave from his master, Philemon. So Philemon is a wealthy chap who had a slave. Um, and a, slaves... There, there was varying degrees of slavery. I'm not really planning on getting into this, but you know, we see slavery as people chained ankle and foot and on slave ships, rowing boats. But slavery in the Roman Empire wasn't all like that. There were those kind of slaves, but it wasn't all like that. Some of it was indentured labor. Some of it was to do around credit, and they would work off credit to people and things like that. So some of it was permanent employment, you know, you get moments where the Bible speaks of people who choose to continue to be slaves. Now, if slavery was horrific and you were chained ankle to ball and chain every day, you would, no one would choose to carry on in that life. But so slavery wasn't all as horrific as um, what we see in the sort of late 16, 1700s. So, Anesimus has run away. Um, he's, he's found Paul. 
This guy Onesimus, the slave, gets saved. He's part of what Paul is doing. Paul is in prison, and um, Onesimus is helping, looking after him. But Paul says to, Paul knows Philemon, Philemon, this guy who's the slave master. Um, and what we think is the best that scholars can tell us is that the church in Colossae, so the, the book of Colossians written to the church in a city called Colossae, as best we know, that church met in Philemon's house. So Philemon's house. Philemon is where the church in Colossae met. So he was a wealthy oak. He had a big house. He owned slaves, all of that sort of stuff. So Paul says to Onesimus, he says, Listen, it's not right that you're here. I'm stoked that you're saved, but it is right that you need to go back to your master. I'm going to send you back to Philemon, but I'm going to send it with a letter. I'm going to cover your going back with a letter. And he writes what we now know as the book of Philemon. So Paul gets, um, on the same trip, Paul gets Onesimus to deliver letters to the church in Colossae. Obviously, they're in the house he's going back to, so he's, it's real convenient he's going there. But they also think that he delivered the letters to Ephesians or to Ephesus, the, the, the book of Ephesians that we know, and possibly the, the one that um, is spoken about that we don't know of is to the church in Laodicea. So he, it's possible that an, um, Paul trusted Onesimus with those three letters. And we're super stoked that Onesimus is trustworthy because we now have those three books of the Bible, Philemon, Colossians, and Ephesians, that he would have carried with him. So, the beautiful thing, and, and for me, the, the kind of the main thrust of what Paul writes and the, and the story of Philemon and Onesimus is that God is not in the business of second chances. He's far better than that. Rather, God gives us new beginnings. You see, sometimes we just think, man, I, I, just want, I just want a second chance. I just need another go at this. Kind of like a mulligan. You ever play golf? If you, if you play golf, you know what a mulligan is. It's, um, it's when you hit a really bad shot off the tee. So you're not playing in competition, but you're playing with your mates, and you shank it off the tee, and that thing is out of bounds, and you're not even bothering to look for the ball, and you're just like, hey, I'm taking a mulligan. It means you get a do-over. You don't count that one, and you, and you kind of like, hey, let's take this up. Like if you... Normally, you'd have like one per 18 holes. But if you're generous, you play one every nine. So front nine and back nine, you get a mulligan. Some people play like one every hole. I think that's cheating. But the, a mulligan is a second chance. You've hit it out of bounds. You put it down. You go again. And, and a second chance, you know, it, it sounds great when we think that God gives us second chances. But second chances are often, often more difficult because we're now we're more tired. We're trying to do the same thing over and over again. And we still have all that old baggage that we had before that comes along with us when we think, man, this is a second chance. But you see, new beginnings are far better because new beginnings with God, God completely wipes the slate clean. He completely gets rid of that stuff. He's not going, okay, I'm just going to give you another chance to mess it up. He says, no, no, this is a new beginning. This is a, something that is completely new. The old has gone, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Our greatest new beginnings comes from the gospel. And you see, the friends, the gospel is far more than just words. It is the power of God for you and I to transform us. The gospel is not a second chance at life. The gospel is not a second chance at getting things right so God will love me. The gospel says... Christ died, you were crucified with him, your old is gone, the new has come. Now live according to that new that has come. 
And this book of Philemon has such a beautiful representation of the gospel. We're going to run through three things that he says. Um, just I picked out a few verses out of here about what the gospel says to us through the book of Philemon. And the first thing is that the gospel has the power to redeem people. Redeem is not a word we, we use often unless you like vouchers. But you know when you're shopping online and you get a code or you've got a voucher, it says, redeem the voucher now at checkout. I don't get to do that very often. I don't get vouchers. I don't look for things. But if you like a redeem, a discount code sometimes. Have you ever used that? Have you ever seen that? You get to, FNB's got vouchers on their app. I found them the other day. I don't know what they're vouchers for, but I saw them there. Never used those either. But to redeem a voucher, that's what Christ does for us. He redeems us completely. He pays for something that we should be paying for. That's what it means to be redeemed. It means to be bought out, to be taken out from. Paul writes to Philemon in, in chapter, oh, there's only one chapter, but in verse 11, he says, uh, speaking of Onesimus, Paul writes to Philemon, formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Incredible. Well, it's a subtle play on words that, we, again, we miss in English, but Onesimus means useful. His name meant useful. So Paul's saying, you might have found useful useless, but useful is now useful both to you and I. That's kind of, it's kind of got a little bit of a rhythm and a poetry when we say it like that. And so Paul is, it's an intentional play on words here for Philemon to pay attention to. And what Paul is saying to Philemon is that Onesimus might have, previously he was just a slave or just a possession or just a thing to you. And he's run away. He's deserted you. And probably Philemon was robbed by Onesimus when he went. And so, you know, take some stuff and balega. That's what Onesimus did. And so Philemon's upset. And so Paul says, he might have been useless to you previously, but now he is useful, both to you and to me. And what is the change that made Onesimus useful? It's that he got saved. It's that he came to faith in Christ. You see, friends, we are all pretty useless without Jesus. We're all pretty useless for the kingdom. Whatever good we want to do for Christ is useless. Paul writes in Romans chapter 7, verses 13 to 25, probably some of the most difficult theologians struggle the most with that chapter 7 to interpret that stuff. But the way I see it is that Paul, where he, you might have read it, he says, the good I want to do, I do not do, but what I do not want to do, I do do, and I, I cannot do the good I want. It's like very back and forth, and you're like, oh, chapter 8, please. Seven's enough. Thank goodness I made it through seven. Eight is a lovely chapter. Seven's super confusing. But in seven, what Paul is saying, I think he's, uh, the way I see it is he's writing about before he was saved. So he was super zealous for God. He was a, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And he's saying, all that stuff I wanted to do before I knew Jesus was useless. I was trying to do good for God, but apart from Christ, I could do nothing. I was sold as a slave to sin, Paul says. No matter what I tried to do, even in his zeal for God, what did he end up doing? He ended up persecuting the church. He thinks he's doing right, but he's actually useless until he comes to the point, knocked off his horse blind for three days, and God says, now you can be useful to me, Paul, because now you know who is Lord. We all are useful, useless without Christ. We are slaves to sin, but with Jesus, the gospel makes us it redeems us. It makes us useful again to God. We can be used 
by Jesus because of what he has done for us. The second thing the gospel does is it brings restitution. Restitution might be quite a controversial topic, and particularly in America at the moment, it is a very hot topic that people are debating. But Philemon, verse 18, says this. Paul writing to Philemon, he says, If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Paul says, effectively, demonstrating the gospel, demonstrating what Jesus does for us, I will pay his debt, whatever it is. Whatever he has stolen from you, maybe you've lost revenue because the slave wasn't there for six months or whatever, and I will pay that for you. Friends, whatever, you, whatever debt you've incurred, Christ has paid that debt. Not your credit card, but spiritual debt. Christ has paid. You don't walk into F&B and go like, Jesus has paid it. Maybe God does, but I don't know. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says Jesus has paid your debt. Paul offers complete restitution for Onesimus. What a beautiful picture of the gospel for us. In Luke 19, we read the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, short, couldn't see Jesus, climbed up a tree. Jesus says, come down, I'm going to eat in your house. You know the story? And there was a song about Zacchaeus, short little man was he, that one. Um, I'm not going to sing it, but I'm going to sing the rest of it for you. But Luke 19, 8 to 10, Luke writes, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, this is while he's having dinner with Jesus. He says, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Tax collectors were renowned for stealing and for cheating their own people. That's why the Jews hated them, because they were Jews who worked for the Roman government, but they were corrupt. They would exploit and extort their own people. And he's saying, I'm going to give half of everything I have to the poor, and I'm anybody who I've stolen from. And he stood up, not just him and Jesus. It was a crowd of people that they were eating dinner with. So they were witnesses. I'm going to give back four times. And Jesus has this incredible response. Jesus says to him, today, salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. You see, Zacchaeus isn't saved because he offers restitution. Zacchaeus offers restitution because he's saved. He realizes who Jesus is, and he goes, man, out of the overflow of that salvation, I need to make right what I've done wrong. It's not a requirement for your salvation, but very often it's a result of your salvation that you will make restitution for things you've done wrong. Go back and make that phone call and go, hey, I'm sorry I did that. I was an idiot. I didn't know any better. I was acting selfishly. Now I know. Please forgive me. Offer restitution. Restitution isn't always financial. Sometimes it's relational, which can be more difficult than just paying back the money. There is a debt that we owe God for our sin, but this debt has been paid by Jesus. Paul makes that clear in Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14. He says, when you, speaking to people, when you were dead in your sins, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. Our legal indebtedness. We were all in debt to God, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. The gospel brings redemption. The gospel brings restitution. And finally, the gospel transforms relationships. There's a lot in there, but we're just going to go on those three. The gospel transforms 
relationships. Verses 15 and 16 of Philemon, Paul says, Perhaps the reason he, being Onesimus, was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Paul makes this incredible appeal to Philemon on the basis of love, that he take Onesimus back, but not just as a slave. Take him back as a brother. He's a valuable man and a brother in Christ. By embracing Onesimus, Philemon has an incredible opportunity. Philemon has an opportunity to show his world the gospel's power to transform and reconcile relationships. You think it's an easy little book because it's short to read, but man, this is an incredibly challenging book. If you understand, and we go, man, okay, so how does this apply to me? See, a lot of us see ourselves as one of the two. Anyway, I'm getting ahead. I'll get to that now. But the, the picture that we see is of Jesus and the gospel. It redeems, it restores, it renews. He completely pays our debts. He makes us useful and he returns us back to the Father, back to our rightful owner. That's what the gospel does. As it says, you've run away from him for so long. But now I'm going to buy you back and I'm going to send you back to the Father. I'm going to send you back to God. That's what Jesus effectively does. This book is a, is a perfect representation of the gospel. And Paul is saying, I will pay his debt. Our debts are paid. We can go back to the Father with all courage and safety and knowledge that he will accept us because our debts have been paid by somebody else. We have a letter that we take with us, the gospel of Christ, to the Father that says, my debts are paid. I can enter into the presence of a holy God because I am washed by the blood of Jesus. I am set free from, I, from sin. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm a slave to righteousness. What a beautiful thing it is. Not a second chance, but a new beginning. Not a second chance for Onesimus or us, but rather a new beginning. Now, maybe you feel like, I just felt two things. Maybe you, you, you feel like you're an Onesimus. You've run away from difficult relationships or a difficult relationship. And I want to say to you this morning that God wants to, through you, redeem that relationship, whatever that may look like. Can you imagine how difficult it must have been for Onesimus to go back to Philemon? Under Roman law, if a slave ran away, slave owners or masters were allowed to punish their slaves however they saw fit. They were even allowed to execute them. So Onesimus, going back to Philemon, is risking his life in the restoration of that relationship. And Paul says, I'll cover it with a letter, but there's still a risk. Paul didn't, there's no obligation on Philemon to listen to Paul. It's an incredibly vulnerable thing that Onesimus does. And when we get to go into relationships that, that are broken, and we've got to bring the gospel in, it requires an immense amount of trust of who God is in that moment. And we've got to trust God to break into that moment. And we've got to trust God to restore that relationship. But it still means that it might not go the way we want it to go. Will you be like Onesimus, who faithfully listened to Paul, and when Onesimus could have walked out the door, thrown those letters on the ground and turned left and gone away and just gone and lived in another city. But the gospel had so gripped Onesimus 
the love of Christ had so gripped him that he said, I'm going to trust God in what he's sending me back to do. He demonstrates humbly his faith in God by going back to Philemon. Faithful and willing to trust God, not only with the process of going back, but with the outcome as well. Are you willing to trust God with the outcome? Perhaps some of you feel more like Philemon. Someone has wronged you. They have cost you dearly. They've stolen from you. What they have done has caused you great pain and loss. And you want to, and maybe you have full rights to punish them and make them pay for their transgression. But will you take this opportunity like Philemon did? As best we can tell, Philemon took Onesimus back as a brother and didn't kill him. Hopefully. Otherwise, I don't think the book of Philemon would have been included in the canon of Scripture if it hadn't worked out so well. But will you be like Philemon and use the opportunity to demonstrate the power of the gospel to transform relationships in your life? Because that's what it is. You see, when we welcome other people back and we go, hey, I forgive you, we demonstrate the love of Christ. We demonstrate the gospel in those moments. And you don't have to do it in a quiet way. You can do it in an open way. That says, go to that person and say, hey, man, you did this against me. That thing and that thing, man, that cost me, that hurt me a lot. But I forgive you. Oh, well, I'm not sorry. I don't need your forgiveness. That's okay. I still forgive you. Can you trust God with those moments and release them and yourself from the bondage of a broken relationship? I, I, I really felt that this morning, that, that there's some here, maybe you're in the bondage of broken relationships. And God wants to bring release for you this morning through the gospel. New beginnings. So what are, just to finish off, two quick things. Three, I think I've got three. Three, three things. What can we learn from new beginnings as we live out the gospel, as we live out this relational difficulty and transformation that happens? Three quick things. Number one, it's more important how we finish than how we start or how it's going now. It's more important how we finish than how we start or how it's going now. If the relationship is going bad, don't leave. It's not finished yet. Stick at it. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 8, Solomon writes, the end of a matter is better than its beginning. You see, so often at the first sign of trouble or disappointment, we give up on relationships. We give up on community. You come into church. It's amazing. You've got saved. You, you think it's cool. You think it's fun. You get involved. You start serving and you realize, man, these other people, they're hypocrites. They're not so nice. They don't, they're not always kind to me. They don't live like, they, like I think they should. That guy preaching, he gets angry sometimes. That guy, he doesn't, like he, he's not that, he's not Jesus. This is unpleasant. Yes, welcome. It's lovely to have you here. But we give up on community when these things happen. But you see, it's not, it's not so important how we start or how we, where we're at now. What's important is how we finish. Paul effectively does this with Onesimus and Philemon. He acknowledges the problems. He says, hey, listen, I know he's cost you. I know he was useless, but now he's useful. I will pay. Let's have a, a new beginning. Receive him as a brother, not as a slave. This is a new beginning. Don't give him a second chance. Don't let him get off scot-free and just be a slave. Let's have a new beginning. Let's finish this relationship well. How we finish is way more important than how we start. 
The second thing, in a new beginning, the former things are forgotten. Have you ever tried to forget something? It's a logical impossibility, isn't it? If I told you, Bill Cosby tells a funny story of how they had this kid in his neighborhood that they didn't want him to play with him. And so they would say to him, all right, you just sit down and for two minutes do not think about pink elephants. What have you all just seen in your head? The pink elephant. Don't think about pink elephants. When you've done that for two minutes, then you can come play with us. It's impossible because you've got to, your brain can't do it. You see, we can't forget things. We do forget some things, but we can't intentionally forget things. We forget where the keys are, you forget sometimes your kids' names, but you can't, you just call all the names, just run through all the names, it's fine. But we can't intentionally forget things that people have done wrong against us, can we? Because every time you see that person, you feel that pain. And no matter how hard you try to forget, you can't. But God says this in Isaiah 43, he says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Not a second chance. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you perceive it? Do you not perceive it? Incredible thing about what God does and in new beginnings is that we can miss it. We can miss what God is doing. Do you not perceive it? If we are hell-bent on holding on to the past, holding on to the brokenness, holding on to the pain, and maybe that pain has become something of your identity. Maybe it's a parent who passed or an older relative who's dead, but you're still holding on to the pain, and that's become something of who you are. Friends, I want to say to you, let that thing go. Allow God to do a new beginning in you. Allow God to wipe the slate clean. You do not want to miss what God is doing in a new beginning. Let us obey His Word, heed His Word, and not long for the old days so much that we can't perceive what God is doing. You know, I believe, and if, if I look around at what God is doing and what He's busy with, and I don't know everything that God's doing, nobody does, but if we just look at the highlights that we can see of what God is busy with around the world, friends, I think there is a move of God happening. It started last year where God is bringing people back into an intimacy and a depth of relationship with Him that will surpass anything we've seen. I think there is a move of God that is moving away from the the flashy and the showy and the, the big, moving into a place of the intimate and the gentle, but the deep, meaningful relationship with God. Do you see what God is doing? Do you not perceive it, that God is doing a new thing? See, we can hold on to the ways we used to do things. We can hold on to, oh, this is how we've always done it in our family. This is how we've always done it in our church. This is, we can hold on to those things and miss the new thing that God wants to do. Let's not hold on so hard that we miss the new beginnings. And thirdly, and this is a challenging one, is that new beginnings often start with you. Michael Jackson's song, I'm starting with the man in the mirror or the woman in the mirror. You see, we often want other people to change and we want society to change, but we're not willing to change. A new beginning starts with you. Are you willing to lay it down at the foot of the cross and allow Christ to wipe that slate clean and to say, today, my friend, is a new beginning for you? Go back to that scripture I quoted at the beginning, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Paul says this, therefore, if anyone, who? 
Any, can you say anyone? Anyone. If anyone, not someone else, not someone super spiritual, not someone in certain clothes or things that they wear, not someone with a degree, not someone who calls himself an apostle or a, not someone who leads a small group. If anyone, if anyone, not someone else, if anyone, is in Christ. This is the only qualifier to have for a new beginning. You want a complete new beginning? This is the only qualifier there is. Are you in Christ? Do you know Jesus? Does he know you? Terrifying scripture. You know, some will say to me, Lord, Lord, on that day. And I'll say, away from you, I never knew you. You might know who Jesus is, but does he know you? Does he have access? Are you in Christ? It's a gut check. It's a reality check, but we have to do it. Am I believing the gospel? Is, is this real for me? Am I in Christ? That is the key for the new beginning. You see, you can't get the benefit of the debt that's paid by Christ without being in Christ. You've got to be in Are you in Christ? If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new, the new is here. It is here. It's an incredible thing that we, we are so used to work and reward, work and reward. And Jesus says, I'm doing it different. I'm going to wipe the slate clean. I'm going to start with you. In the words of Fat Boy Slim, right here, right now. Not when you reach level 43 of the gold standard of Christianity. Right here, right now. The old has gone, the new has come. As Paul writes, you were crucified with Christ. Your old nature, that sinful nature that you were born with, is crucified on the cross. You are set free from that. You are no longer a slave to sin. You have a new beginning. What a beautiful thing it is. And, and, and the Bible says, now go and live like that. Go and live like that new beginning. You know, when Paul catches that woman, or oh, Paul, when the woman in adultery is brought to Jesus, funny the man wasn't brought, but the woman, there's got to be two of them eh, if she was in adultery, but the woman is brought, and then he gets down, writes on the floor, says the thing, first one without sin, you can throw the stone, they drop it, off they go. Jesus says to her, go and, do, go and sin no more. Says it to another man that he heals as well. He says, go, go and sin no more. See, he doesn't say, when you stop sinning, you'll receive your new beginning. You'll receive your healing. You'll receive... No, no. Because of that thing. Because you are a new creation. Because the old is gone, the new is here. Go and live right. And that is the challenge. The gospel, the new beginning starts with you. So this is my challenge for you in 2024. Have your eyes open. Have your eyes fixed on Jesus perceiving what he's doing, seeing the move of God, but live as that new beginning. I've, as I look around the room, I've seen some incredible changes in your lives. Many of you through 2023 have experienced new beginnings. But I want to say to you, God has got more for you in 2024. God is in the business of redeeming and reclaiming and restoring. Will you let him do those things in your life? You can't stop it. But will you let God bring new beginnings in your life?
Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are faithful, that there is truly none like you, and that we can come and lay our lives down at the foot of your cross, humbly, and say, Lord, here am I. Do with me what you will. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and remind us of the gospel day in and day out. Teach us. Lead us into all truth. Remind us of the things that Jesus has said. Lead us into that place of intimacy with the Father. Holy Spirit, we want to hang on your every word every day. I pray that if there are any of us in this room listening to this message wherever, that are living in the bondage of broken relationships, that you would bring by the gospel's power a new beginning in those moments. Help us to be full of faith as we step out and risk in our relationships, Jesus. Help us to, to rely on you, God, for the outcome. We want to be faithful and obedient and trust in you. Start with us, Lord. Here we are. Let your kingdom advance through us. Let your authority and your kingship come, your rule and your reign come wherever we go, Jesus, as we live out your gospel. And I pray, Jesus, that you bring new beginnings in our lives, new beginnings even where we are not looking for it, new beginnings where we are, uh, it, it just is unexpected, God. I thank you, Jesus, that there is nothing too great for you, nothing beyond your reach. Amen. Amen.